Something's off with how we talk about psychedelics. An essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. So recently, the MAPS organization held the biggest psychedelics conference ever in Denver. I didn't attend, but I have been to Horizons, the conference they put on in New York City every year. And let's just say that when I went, I had some mixed feelings. At first, I was excited to connect with other psychonauts and see what this rising field looks like. I went to a few of the lectures given by academics from Johns Hopkins and NYU who do research and conduct clinical trials on psychedelics. They had all this data and charts showing how they were getting close to proving the overlap between how the brain reacts to psychedelics and mystical experiences. I sat there thinking, uh, no duh. I don't need a scientific study to tell me about the overlap between psychedelics and mystical experiences. I have a lifetime of personal data and, well, let's just say the verdict is in. Now I'm happy they're doing that work and I realize the value of it. And I'm glad psychedelics are having this breakthrough moment. However, something feels off with how we keep talking about them. It feels like any discussion of these drugs has to fit into either an academic, business, or mental health framework. That's fine. I get why that's happening. But I just wish things were a little more wild. When it comes to mental health, psychedelics are increasingly viewed as legitimate because they can help alleviate anxiety, depression, PTSD, etc., It's tough to argue with something that can serve as the cure for soldiers traumatized in war zones, addicts who can't break free, panic attack sufferers, and others in pain. And of course, that's totally a great thing. Let's get these people the help they need. But here's my point. We all need help. Even when we're well, whatever that means. Healthy people can still get our minds straightened out. And tripping can definitely help. You don't need to be sick or troubled to benefit from psychedelics. This is what's sometimes referred to as the betterment of well people. It just means that you don't have to be all messed up in order to get something out of psychedelics. You know, you can take your car in for a tune-up before it breaks down. Now, I understand the quote-unquote therapeutic use approach is the wise way to legalize, legitimize, and mainstream psychedelics. After all, the people behind this movement, they're trying to not repeat the mistakes made by the Timothy Leary crew and everyone else in the 60s who went too far with stuff. And they're trying to do a good job making it palatable to politicians and everyone else who bought into the war on drugs. It just feels weird, though. We don't say shrooms anymore. Now we say psilocybin. It's not hippies and indigenous folks leading the discussion. It's scientists and tech bros. It's all coming less from people like mushroom guru Paul Stamets than it is from venture capitalists like Peter Thiel. I'm worried about what happens when something so soulful and spiritual gets filtered through America's profit-at-all-costs healthcare system. Combining mystical experiences and predatory capitalism is like starting a church inside a bank. It's also weird when people talk about microdosing as a productivity tool, which you now see in places like Money Magazine. I know turn on, tune in, drop out wasn't the answer, but I'm not sure microdose so you can be a better worker for your employer is the solution either. If you're taking shrooms and thinking it's time to go to work, then my two cents is you're doing them wrong. You should be taking shrooms and saying, why do I go to work? What do these people have on me? And then you should go for a walk in the woods. Instead of microdosing, you can take the appropriate dose. You don't have to toe dip. You can dive in and really go for it. When you go all in, you can actually lose your ego for a while instead of just tweaking it around the edges. Here's something to consider. 
a large dose of psychedelics is called a heroic dose. So when you're microdosing, in a way, you're being an anti-hero. But what if I have a bad trip, people say? Well, do it in the right setting with the right mindset, and you'll greatly reduce the chances of that. Whenever someone starts in on an I-had-a-bad-trip story, I interrupt before they even get going and say, let me guess, you were at a music festival and you were with a big group and you didn't know all of them and then you got lost or it started raining or you were separated and it was really scary and you couldn't find your tent or you had to just stay by a fence or blah, 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 blah. And it's astounding how frequently bad trips involve a scenario just like this. More than once, people have gone, wait, how did you know? Often, people who have a bad trip, they didn't take the wrong drugs. They just took them in the wrong environment or with the wrong people. Here's Dr. Ruby's prescription. Take them in the right setting with the right people and with the right mindset, and you'll probably be fine. And even if not, the challenges you face may be fruitful nonetheless. I guess I just want to argue for a little bit of wildness. We constantly try to modernize stuff like this when we should really look at how ancient cultures use these tools and take inspiration from that. If people have been taking them a certain way for thousands of years, there's probably a good reason. If certain ceremonies or environments have worked for centuries, maybe we shouldn't trade them in for things that, you know, make soccer moms feel safe. Sure, psychedelics can be taken in a clinical setting while monitored by a therapist or a trip sitter, but you can also go for it outside of the system and the man. No blindfolds, no white walls, no pre-approved Spotify playlists, and no one holding your hand. I've been running a lifelong experiment on hallucinating and can tell you that these are also fine places to trip. At a friend's apartment where you listen to pet sounds and then walk along the lakeshore of Chicago. In a national park in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York where you hike through the woods with bandmates. Traipsing through Fort Greene Park in Brooklyn with a couple of comedians from New Orleans while it snows going to an Airbnb in the Green Mountains of Vermont and hiking through the woods around the property until you discover an abandoned, rusted-out van where you play inside for an hour and then afterwards lie in a field of grass as a rainstorm pours over you while you hold hands. Attempting to go to the Pink Floyd laser light show at the planetarium, failing, and deciding instead to go down to the basement and jam on instruments until you call your mother and tell her how glorious the whole thing is and have her wish you a smooth re-entry throwing rocks into a river for an hour, walking along the hoodoos at the edge of Long Island, wading into the ocean on a beach in Costa Rica, on an island in Greece listening to a DJ as the sun sets, in a jungle in Tulum, in a quote-unquote temple that's actually just a shack atop a mountain in Peru. Dog parks, so many dog parks, you don't even need a dog. Wading into the fountain at Millennium Park in Chicago and feeling the water cover your toes. And in bed, with someone you love. There's a whole world out there of wonderful environments to lose yourself on psychedelics. And you probably won't read about any of them in Money Magazine. Trips Ahoy! And now let's welcome in producer Jeremiah McVeigh to talk all about getting high. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So <laughs> this is something that is not quite in my comfort zone. Okay. That said, I, I totally support the idea of it. Like, I think that as you've pointed out, this has become something that is more acceptable and seen as a, as a potential treatment for people who need help with certain issues. And I think that's great, as, as you express in the essay. I wonder if this goes back to something I know you've talked about and actually a little foreshadowing for an episode we're about to record after this, the idea of drugs versus medicine, obviously, mm. you know, of like, you know, you brought up the idea of they have to call it psilocybin now instead of shrooms, like the, the kind of street name, so to speak. Is that because we have to we accept medicine and drugs are still seen as illicit? And the, the line between that is kind of thinner than people probably realize. <laughs> like, what what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it right there. I mean, uh, yeah, I do on some level feel like the stuff that comes through pharmaceutical companies and through, you know, the approved channels of academia and science as we have it oftentimes, that's to fit into our capitalist system of hooking people up to a subscription model. It, a lot of times it's not actually getting at the root causes of things. It's just treating treating symptoms. And, you know, it's how do we make the most money for these, you know, pharma companies and for these, you know, sort of everyone else who's in that ecosystem. Whereas a lot of times, you know, psychedelics, you know, just one trip or a few trips can change a person's life in a way that they don't need it anymore, that it helps them sort of recalibrate or uh, shake the snow globe is the phrase that's used a lot where there's, now there's a lot of research in the default neural mode network of like, you can have a hallucination or one of these trips and really kind of reset sort of the grooves in your brain and, and form new patterns in a way that's not hooking you into, you know, the medicalized system of our, our culture. And so I think there's, you know, obviously great value in that, but yeah, it's going to, uh, there, there will be friction when things are not working within the way capitalism and our society wants them to. Yeah. And a, a lot of it's branding too, right? Like it's just this idea from a lot of people who are, who this might be outside of their comfort zone, like me of like, oh, well, if it is drugs, it's like this street drug, so to speak then there's a chance that it could go wrong, that somebody like tampered with it or something. Whereas like if you give it a name like psilocybin instead of shrooms or, you know, other things too, um, there's this idea that someone did their homework here. Someone did the work to make this safe, that, that it's been someone's looking out for it. It's been inspected, that sort of thing. Right. So how much of that is a factor? Yeah, I think that's definitely healthy and like, you know, people wanting drugs that are approved and checked and wanting food that the FDA has, you know, determined is is actually what it says it is as opposed to just off the black market. I think there's definitely a lot of uh power to be had uh in going that route with it. It's just sort of interesting how in order to pursue that route, then we also have to work through in this ecosystem of capitalism, the healthcare system, uh politics. And so many other things that are, you know, kind of coloring this. And I think that's part of why you're seeing so much of the emphasis is also being on, you know, uh, soldiers with PTSD or other people who are suffering and like, oh, these these people who are suffering, we can give them this medicine and then they're able to overcome their PTSD. Who could argue against that? You know, that sort of framework becomes a, a much more compelling point of view. Although, like, I, I would point out, Yes, let's please give soldiers suffering from PTSD, you know, shrooms or whatever else is helping them overcome that. But the people maybe who need it even more than them are the people who keep starting the wars. Like, 
like, why don't we give all these Pentagon guys and all these high ups and all the military industrial complex folks some shrooms or ayahuasca, and maybe that can recalibrate, you know, sort of our our approach to a lot of conflict in this world. Well, that's an interesting take. What what can we learn from marijuana? Because marijuana, not a psychedelic, but it is something that has become largely legalized across the country and parts of the country, at least big parts of the country. So what do you think of the way marijuana has become more publicly and legally available and what lessons can be learned from that and how the same can maybe be eventually done for certain psychedelics, if not all? Yeah, I think it's already happening. I think uh, MDMA is on its way to being approved, you know, within the next couple of years in a similar trajectory as happened with marijuana. I think, you know, the framework of this is things that can help people heal. People are suffering. This is medicine that's helping people that has for decades already has just been happening under the table or whatever phrase you want to use in a way that like, let's let people who are getting the help they need for whatever suffering they, they've endured, let's let them be able to do it legally without turning them into criminals just because they're trying to heal their pain or whatever is causing them suffering. So I, I think there's clearly a trajectory happening there and a roadmap that was sort of given through the cannabis legalization that now is i think mdma is next and then and psilocybin and then i think after that you know it, it'll keep extending so i think yeah there's uh something to be said for that same approach and i think i'm i guess what i'm trying to say isn't that that's bad or wrong or we shouldn't be doing it because like i said i totally respect that's the way you get things done in our society. I do think that there is some value to things that are wild or counterculture or, you know, done in like the same manner as indigenous cultures have been doing them for a long time. And for us to not lose sight of that completely and turn everything over to, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and the politicians and, uh, you know, legal authorities as we move forward with these, what I would consider sort of whole, holy substances. Right, right. And also, I'm just going to say real quick before we go that people should check out your special substance because, <laughs> you know, uh, this this reminds me of that. So yeah, it definitely gets into some of these concepts. For people who don't know, I have a stand with special called substance. Uh, you go to youtube.com slash Matt Ruby or mattrubycomedy.com. And uh, it has me doing sets uh, on weed, uh, booze, shrooms, and sober. And interestingly, it gets into some, some, or I think it wound up interesting anyway, like, cause it wasn't intentional, but it gets into some sort of depthful examination of psychedelics versus alcohol. And, and I, even that I think definitely relates to this conversation of like, look at what we have legalized. Look at look at what is out there that people can do and how much damage alcohol has caused to people's lives versus marijuana or or mushrooms or LSD and being like, huh, why why did why was that legal? Who made money off that? Why was this thing illegal? And you know who's scared of it being legal and why? And I, th I think there can be some, uh, you know, it gets into some some deeper stuff that is, is isn't just about drugs or whatever, but it's about ego and you know society and, and some other stuff like that and there's jokes along the way too <laughs> and now for some quickies if you have fans online they'll mindlessly plus one whatever numbskull opinion you post that's why I'm grateful to have hardly any fans keeps me honest. 
bartender at this fancy mixology spot told me a drink was spirit forward. And now I really dig that as a euphemism for, look, it's all booze. (laughs) Maybe we should try this out elsewhere. I'm not depressed. I'm just sadness forward. The office is now where you go to make Zoom calls all day, right next to all the other people who are also making Zoom calls all day. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.